Hi everyone, welcome back to Talks in Class. Happy 2024. We're back kicking off the new year with a very special New Year's themed episode that I'm really excited about. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and a fun new year if you went out and celebrated. I personally love staying home on New Year's Eve. <laughs> it has been my go-to for, honestly, I think it's been a decade since I properly went out on New Year's Eve, almost a decade. I think New Year's Eve 2014 was the last time I like actually went out <laughs> properly, you know, like to a party or a bar uh, with friends on New Year's Eve. So it is what it is. I had a good time. Hubs and I made a bunch of food and just relaxed and went to bed early, honestly. We rang in 2024 on New York time here on the West Coast and then went to bed. <laughs> I had a great uh, little holiday mini break. We went to Palm Springs for a few days over Christmas and then really just kind of hung out, relaxed around the house. On New Year's Day, we went to the Academy Museum here in LA, which is relatively new and it's been on our list of places that we wanted to go. And it was great. We really enjoyed it. There's a Godfather exhibit there right now that I think is closing in March, that exhibit. So we wanted to get there before that was over and it was really cool. It was definitely worth going, but the whole place was, was really big. It was, they had more stuff than I expected. They have costumes, props. There was a whole room with a bunch of old Academy Awards, like the actual statues dating back to the twenties. So that was cool to see. And just a bunch of cool information about movies and the industry and all of that. So that was fun. And now it's back to reality. You guys, the holidays are over. It is back to real life, which is fine, actually. Usually I get a little sad when Christmas is over, but this year I don't really feel that way. I don't know why. Maybe it's because we're in California and we don't have to deal with the coming months of just gray, cold sadness <laughs> like I have previously on the East Coast and in the Midwest. But either way, I am feeling excited and motivated to get back into things and, you know, get going on some projects. And I know that's annoying. I know that's so annoying when people say that, but it's true. I'm sorry. And I am really excited about this week's episode. But before we get into that, I will do my what good happened for the week. And honestly, a lot good happened. It's been two weeks for the, because of the holiday and it was the holiday. So a lot could happen. So I'll go with a super simple one, which is my husband and I went to Palm Springs, as I mentioned over Christmas, and I have to give Hubs credit. He did the research and he picked out a hotel, which I usually do because I'm a little particular about like the vibe at the hotel and the location. And he doesn't care as long as it, I don't know, is clean and has a comfortable bed. He's fine with it. But he found a cute hotel, super cute little boutique hotel in Palm Springs. And when we got there, it wasn't very busy, I guess, because it was right before Christmas. So they upgraded us to a bigger room just because. And I love when that happens. I love staying in hotels in general. I think it's just so fun, but it's always nice to get a little bit better room, especially when you're not expecting it. So that was a pleasant little Christmas surprise. So as I mentioned, we are kicking off the new year with a new year themed episode, but not just any new year. We are talking about a very specific and very important new year, the most famous, most notable new year that millennials have lived through for sure. And the only new year, or at least I hope so, that came with fears of the world ending, which of course is the new millennium and the Y2K scare. 
being alive in the late 1900s, as the kids now call it, aka the 1990s, was a special experience. And not just because of the amazing teen movies and the boy bands and TRL and the body glitter, but because we were living through a monumental time in history. We were not only approaching the turn of a century, but the turn of a millennium. And the millennium fever really took hold of our culture like nothing I had ever experienced before for sure, but really almost, I would say, not like anything I've experienced since. Everything in pop culture was focused on the millennium. If you didn't live through it or you don't remember, I cannot stress this enough, the millennium was the brand of everything at that time. I don't remember it really being referred to as Y2K that much, at least not at first. It was the millennium. I mean, that just sounds so epic. Of course, we adopted that as like the slogan and this was freaking everywhere, okay? Aesthetically, but also just thematically. Everything was about the future. It was about technology. There were a lot of space references and a lot of kind of spacey imagery too. Stars, spaceships, alien stuff. This was all just like so, so popular in the late 90s. And the color palette too just felt very, I don't know, tech focused or like future focused. It was things that we were associating with space, technology, all of these futuristic kind of things. It was very like cyber futuristic aesthetic at that time. Everything was silver. It was shiny black. It was blue, periwinkle. Everything had some sort of like metallic or shimmery finish to it. And we saw this everywhere, not just in fashion, but everything from our shimmery eyeshadow to the silver metallic CD players that looked like literal spaceships. They were like little round things and they were always metallic colored to the metallic blue Skechers chunky sneakers that looked basically like moon boots. <laughs> and this idea of the millennium was used so much in branding and marketing and entertainment and really just everything. I mean, literally everything. I just found my eighth grade volleyball picture, which was taken in the year 2000. And the top of the photo says millennium sports star. <laughs> like that was the generic kind of framing that the photographer put on all of our pictures. So it, it says millennium sports star with the little volleyball graphic at the bottom, like a clip art volleyball, and then eighth grade me right in the center. <laughs> my middle school planner that our school gave us said millennium across the front. You guys remember those planners. They were the ones with kind of the hologram cover where if you turned it, you would see two different images and then it would have the school year written across the front. I mean, just that, the, the hologram thing, so Y2K in itself. And I remember this whole thing being played up everywhere, even in teen magazines. Like, I think it was YM Magazine. I have to dig it out, but I have an issue of YM Magazine from around this time, I think 1999, and I had a quiz called Are You Y2K Cool? <laughs> like, what does that even mean? Or there were articles on how to do millennium makeup or adopt a millennium style or whatever it was. Speaking of makeup, Maybelline had this amazing campaign. I think it was actually a product line called Maybelline 2000 that came out around this time and it was all just shimmery glittery products like 
glitter body gel and shimmery silver eyeshadow and white eyeliner, all of the, you know, Y2K staples. But the imagery in these ads was so just millennium. I mean, it says 2000 just plastered across the front of the ad. And it was a model with all this shimmery makeup on white, you know, silvers, blues against this backdrop that kind of looked, I don't know, it just looked spacey, very futuristic. It kind of has this like metallic look to it. And it looked like she could be on a spaceship. She could be living in space. In the year 2000, we certainly will be occupying space. <laughs> I mean, this was kind of the attitude in pop culture at the time. And entertainment really jumped on the Millennium thing too. I mean, it was intense. Obviously, the Backstreet Boys had an album called Millennium, literally called just Millennium. And there was a lot of media about space, the future, things related to technology and kind of the effects or consequences of technology like Xenon Girl of the 21st Century from 1999, obviously, which again, had us all convinced that we would soon be living in space, surely. <laughs> there was space cases on Nickelodeon, which I just mentioned in the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode, which obviously took place in space. Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again video is such a beautiful example of this. Obviously takes place in space or like on a spaceship or something, and it's just absolutely iconic, everything about it. And of course, just fashion in general was so influenced by this aesthetically. We saw this in everything from the shiny metallic fabrics to details like stars on clothes, which I had on so many different articles of clothing to the little space buns and our shimmery makeup. And it was all really exciting. It felt exciting. I was 12 in 1999. So New Year's didn't really mean much to me as a holiday or an event. It's not like I was going out or, you know, toasting champagne and kissing somebody at midnight. But leading up to New Year's Eve 1999, even at 12 years old, the millennium hype was just so palpable. I mean, you could feel it in the air in like the second half of 1999 for sure. It was like no matter what age you were, we, we could just feel that this was something really big and really exciting. Like somehow the world would totally change when the clock rolled over from the 90s to the 2000s. And I remember a lot of conversations about the fact that we were going to legitimately experience something really significant that other generations would never experience, which is true. Obviously, it's not very common to live through the turn of a millennium. It is not something that many people will experience. And looking back, it had such an impact on us, definitely on our pop culture, on our fashion, but also I think just the mood of the time period in general, our memories. I mean, everything, it's just all kind of influenced by the millennium and the hype around it. The way that, you know, I think kids who live through any other significant cultural moment will be able to feel the impact of that event or that experience on their memories when they look back. I mean, we are literally called millennials. Our entire generation is named after this event. So it, it was significant. And we were obviously just really caught up in this excitement about being part of the future. I mean, that's really what it 
felt like. I was thinking that, you know, the millennium was going to turn and suddenly I'd be living in space with Xenon and using a bunch of cool futuristic technology and wearing space buns and shiny pants and, and glitter every day and just like living this futuristic dream. But then sometime probably in 1999, I don't remember this being talked about for a super long time, but sometime relatively close to New Year's Eve 1999, the mood started to shift and you could feel the shift. We started hearing rumblings about the Y2K bug. And really prior to, I don't know, a few years ago when Y2K started becoming this buzzword really on social media referring to fashion trends being brought back from the 2000s, most of us who lived through it, if we heard the term Y2K, it meant the Y2K computer bug or the Y2K crisis, or just simply the year 2000. That's literally what Y2K means is year 2000. But leading up to that New Year's Eve, Y2K started to become shorthand for that computer bug and just all of these hypothetical catastrophic outcomes of this computer bug when the clocks rolled over from 11.59 on December 31st, 1999 to 12 a.m. on January 1st, 2000. And this became just a full-blown cultural phenomenon in every way you can imagine. And for some people, a full-blown paranoia. So basically what the Y2K computer bug referred to was that in the early days of computers, memory or space on a computer was really rare and expensive. It cost a lot of money to have memory on these, you know, kind of primitive, relatively speaking, computers. So to save space, which was very valuable, they programmed the dates in two digits rather than four. So 19... 80 became 80, 1998 became 98. And there was this fear approaching the year 2000 that essentially the computers wouldn't recognize when it switched from 99 to 00, essentially for the year 2000. And people started to freak out that these massive, super important computer systems would fail and cause, I mean, everything you can imagine, anything that was powered by a computer people thought it would fail. Everything from elevators to banks to like military equipment, like people thought that it was going to send missiles flying in the air or that, you know, elevators would just fall down out of buildings, just, just wreaking havoc in general. And I cannot even begin to imagine what this would have been like if we had social media the way that we do today at that time, because the way that people took this and ran with it and you know that the theories that would spread on social media today would be just like next level mind boggling. But everybody kind of had their own version of what they expected to happen based on their own lives and, you know, their in immediate community and their own experience with technology. And there wasn't this ease of information spreading via the internet that we have now. Thank God. For normal people in a place like my small town in Wisconsin, it was mostly just kind of like a low level general fear that some sort of technology that we use day to day wouldn't work. But the thing about 1999 that you really have to remember is that we didn't live in this fully digital world yet. Going online was an activity in itself, like a hobby, <laughs> you know? It wasn't just a constant state of being the way that it is today. 
People still paid with cash or would write a check. So, you know, hypothetically, if the tech went down at the grocery store, you could still buy stuff because you could hand them cash, paper money, or you could write a check and they could take it and they could give you your goods. You know, we had physical media, so we weren't relying on being connected to something in order to have entertainment. So this idea that this would impact our technology back then was really different than I think it would be now. But still, people were very, very worried about it. And I think because we were just on the brink of this technological generation, you know, this whole new world where we were so connected to tech, we didn't understand a lot of it. So that fed into this fear and this paranoia because this was all really new and the internet felt scary and people just weren't super comfortable with technology at this time. There was especially a fear among like normal everyday people, especially people that I knew, that this would send our personal family computer into an absolute frenzy. I remember Best Buy, and you might remember this if you are of a certain age, Best Buy issued these reminders to turn your computer off before midnight on December 31st, 1999. <laughs> and I'm not sure exactly how turning off the computer would somehow avoid an issue that was apparently built into the software. <laughs> but this was a legitimate campaign from Best Buy. They would put a sticker with this reminder on computers. And we took this so seriously. I'm pretty sure my family unplugged every single electronic in our house before we left the house on New Year's Eve 1999. And we took this so seriously that leading up to Y2K, leading up to that New Year's Eve, the Geek Squad had this, I don't know, this service that you could pay for where you'd bring your computer in and I guess they would just update all of your software. But this service would certify your device as Y2K compliant, they called it. And there was just so much anxiety around this that people's computers would just cease to work when we woke up on January 1st, 2000, and you would lose everything. And this is the first time that I remember anybody talking about backing up their computers, like backing up the stuff you had on your computers. And I, I mean, I was 12, so what did I possibly have to back up on my computer? My library of illegally downloaded songs from Napster <laughs> or my AOL IM conversations that I had emailed to myself for safekeeping. Maybe this is what prompted all of us to start printing out our AOL IM conversations. This was advice that I remember people giving was to print out anything that was on your computer that you might really need because we didn't even trust the backups. And this just makes so much sense when you think about where we were in relation to technology in 1999. It sounds so primitive now, but we didn't trust these devices. This was all new and kind of mind blowing. We didn't trust these computers, these electronic things to hold all of our valuable information or just to be the source of everything, basically the way that we do now. I mean, I even remember being very concerned, very, very skeptical about not having hard copies, like printed copies of my pictures until probably the late 2000s. I mean, even when I had a digital camera, I would put them all online and then I would send away to like Walgreens to get the hard copies just in case. We weren't this completely digital, you know, technologically reliant society the way that we are now. Every device that we had wasn't connected to the internet and our lives weren't connected 
to devices the way that we are now. Even though this was only, you know, 23 years ago, it feels like another time. But this concern wasn't just limited to computers. This fear around the Y2K bug was that it could impact all sorts of technology. On the extreme side, people thought things like planes would crash and bombs would fly. But you know, average people were just worried that their regular everyday electronics in their house would stop working. I still remember on New Year's Eve 1999, I was 12, so I spent it with my parents and a group of their friends and then their kids who were my friends. So it was like a parent party that the kids also got to attend. And I think all of us little 12-year-olds spent most of the night huddled around the big family computer, probably in some Y2K AOL chat room, if I'm being honest. But I remember at one point overhearing the adults talking and one of the men was like, if my microwave doesn't work tomorrow, I'm gonna be pissed. And for most people, that was kind of the gist of it, you know? It was just like, what convenience in my life could be interrupted by this Y2K computer bug? But obviously, just like anything else, there were people who really took it to the extremes. Some people legitimately thought that this computer bug, this Y2K bug, would have apocalyptic consequences. Okay, we're talking end of days survivalist stuff. People were hoarding food. They were hoarding bottled water. They were hoarding, I don't know, probably toilet paper. It was like COVID, but a computer virus instead of an actual virus. But if you remember COVID, which we all do, it was not that long ago, it was the same kind of behavior from some people of like just hoarding supplies, being really fearful of everything and everyone. People built full-on Y2K doomsday bunkers. I mean, people went all out for this. And really, this isn't surprising at all. There are people who react this way to everything, you know, no matter what it is or how severe or any crisis, there are people who take it to this extreme place. But I also think the public message around Y2K and its consequences was kind of fuzzy. And this could also be because we didn't really understand technology at that time. A lot of this stuff was relatively new to the average person. But it was kind of just like anything that relies on a computer or computer technology in any way could go haywire. And, and that was kind of what we all absorbed from the messaging around this. So if you think about it that way, like in the context of 1999 and what we knew and what we the way we understood things, it makes sense that people could make the leap from, oh, you know, my family's gateway desktop computer could crash and cause me to lose all the progress that my kid made on some purple moon computer game to, oh, you know, the nukes could go off unintentionally and blow up the entire world, so I should probably build a fallout shelter in my backyard for my family. <laughs> I mean, that sounds a little insane. I'm not saying that it was logical. I'm just saying you could see how people would make the leap, especially in 1999. And you know what? Honestly, I've probably seen crazier theories on social media like this morning. So it's not surprising. That's all I'm saying. And even for those who maybe didn't go all out with like a bunker, <laughs> I'm sure there were a good number of people who bought into this hysteria, at least on some 
level, you know, somewhere on the spectrum of the Y2K hysteria, there were a lot of people. Maybe it was just stockpiling some canned foods and making sure that you had a stock of candles and batteries or withdrawing all their money from the banks. That was a thing just in case the bank's computer systems crashes and then they couldn't have access to their money. I don't remember my family doing any of this. I mean, we didn't take our computer into Best Buy to have it certified uh, to be Y2K compliant, that's for sure. But I mean, I don't know, I was 12. Maybe my mom did go and make sure all the flashlights had new batteries and stocked up on bottled water. I'm not really sure. All I knew was that I desperately needed my AOL to work come January 1st, 2000. If the worst happened and the Y2K computer bug just wiped out technology as we knew it, how was I supposed to chat with my little middle school quote unquote boyfriend and also complete strangers in a chat room and send out the chain email that I got from some random acquaintance to 20 people so that I wouldn't have bad luck for the next seven years? If AOL didn't work, how was I supposed to do all of that? <laughs> so clearly I was a little too focused on my own very dramatic 12 year old Y2K fears to worry about whether or not my parents were low key freaking out about Y2K. I had no idea. But I do remember, you know, I, I could definitely feel the anxiety in the air. Even at 12 years old, you could feel it. I think anybody who lived through that time and was old enough to just have awareness of the general feeling of the public felt it at least to some degree. And there were all sorts of theories at this time in general, you know, it wasn't just the Y2K bug. And I don't know if it was because of the Y2K hysteria that it led to these other crazy things. But apparently some people also thought that the world would end on September 9th, 1999, 9999, which also happened to be the date of the MTV Video Music Awards that year. But Anyway, that's not important. I was digging through my mom's garage a couple of years ago now, and I found a stack of papers, including a lot of things that I printed out from AOL, and in it was an email, an AOL email from my friend on September 8th, 1999. And I just need to read an excerpt from this email to you because it's probably the greatest thing <laughs> that I've ever found. She wrote, in all caps, Tomorrow is 9999. Several exclamation marks. Some people think the world is going to end tomorrow. How dumb is that? I mean, there is no reason for the world to end. If there was a crater that was gonna hit and blow up our Earth, wouldn't you think they would see it on radar? She has a point. And why would it happen on 9999? I mean, it could happen on 8888, 7777, and so on. Another excellent point. Enough of my opinion. Do you think the world will end? <laughs> if the ocean flooded and came to Wisconsin, I hope Brian from Backstreet Boys would wash right up to my door. I GTG eat, so I'll see you later. <laughs> you guys, when I found this email, I was howling. This is so funny to me because she is so chill about the whole idea of the world possibly ending tomorrow. <laughs> Like she's not worried about the end of days. She's worried about a Backstreet Boy. She's just, you know, hoping that Brian from the Backstreet Boys will somehow end up at her house due to some like catastrophic world event. 
But it also is just like, this is the innocence of children. You know, this is like the essence of being a kid is having these types of thoughts, like saying to your friend, enough of my opinion, do you think the world will end tomorrow? <laughs> like, so chill about it. But fortunately for all of us, or maybe unfortunately for my friend who did not in fact have a Backstreet Boy washed up to her door, uh, nothing really happened at all. Not on 9999 or on midnight on New Year's Eve 1999. And you know, to their credit, IT professionals really did spend months, maybe even years working behind the scenes to try to get ahead of this issue. I've talked a lot about Y2K in my content in the past, and this is something that I had no idea about because I don't know anything about IT, but I've had a lot of people kind of give me information about what people were doing behind the scenes. This wasn't something that just was blown up and then completely went away. There were people that actually like did work to prevent the worst from happening. And you know, this makes sense. They were aware of this long before the general public. And I don't think a lot of people knew what was being done behind the scenes to prevent it from happening. I definitely didn't. And again, this could probably go back to the fact that we didn't understand technology at the time the way that we do now. But when nothing happened, it kind of instantly became this big cultural joke. Like, oh, remember when we thought the world was gonna end because of the way that we abbreviated dates on a computer? And I think that this is the way that a lot of people still think about Y2K because it was so talked about. It was so pervasive in conversation and just pop culture in the months leading up to New Year's Eve 1999. And obviously, like, I'm no IT expert. I really don't know much more now than I knew in 1999, to be honest. So I have no idea what exactly they did to prevent the consequences or what the consequences even would have been if nothing had been done. I have no idea. All I knew was that when the clock struck midnight on December 31st, 1999, nothing in my little 12-year-old life changed at all. Nothing. <laughs> my mom and her friends and my little friends and I all spent the hours leading up to midnight at my friend's house. The adults were hanging out, drinking champagne and I don't know, talking about their Y2K theories probably. Us kids huddled around the computer, my best friend and I wearing our matching shimmery blue flare-like pants, probably from Deb. We were very on the Y2K theme, that's for sure. And then to ring in the new year at midnight, we went into town because they had fireworks and the clock struck midnight, the fireworks went off. We went from 1999 to 2000, the 90s to the 2000s and nothing happened. We all just kind of looked around anticipating something. The street lights didn't go out, you know, no planes fell from the sky. Although I don't think that there would ever be any planes flying over Trumplow, Wisconsin, but you know, everything felt exactly the same. And those of us who were there didn't just live through this monumental moment of ringing in a new century and a new millennium, but also through this cultural moment that has really become an iconic shared memory. We can all laugh about this now. I need a t-shirt that says, I survived Y2K or something like that. And so to celebrate the magic that was the new millennium, I will leave you with a list as always. And this is my top five millennium pop culture moments from 1999 because to me 1999 was truly the height of y2k pop culture number five 
TLC released the album Fan Mail, which is probably the best Y2K album cover I have ever seen. And it of course includes the amazing hit single No Scrubs. If you don't remember this album, it was released in February of 1999, early 1999, and it has like this bluish gray picture of TLC on the cover. And it almost looks like an AI photo now, but it was a holographic cover. And when we saw that, we all, I mean, this is what we thought was like future Touristic technology in 1999 and I just remember seeing it at the store and being like oh my god and now looking at it it just screams Y2K and everything from the color palette to the way that the girls are like styled just everything about it and I think album covers in general around that time are a great example of Y2K aesthetics they had just this great vibe to them everything was like blue and futury. Monica's The Boy Is Mine album cover from 1998 is a great example. It's less in your face, but the color palette screams Y2K. Eiffel 65's uh, Blue, obviously great example. The music video for this one too is just, I mean, next level Y2K. Uh, Smash Mouth Astro Lounge album cover has just this amazing 90s futuristic meets 60s Jetson feel to it, which really captures the 90s 60s revival that was so popular at the end of the 90s in such a beautiful way. So album covers are one of my favorite things to look at when I'm looking for aesthetic cues from the time, but the Y2K ones are especially special. Number four, I mean, you can't leave this off the list. Disney Channel released Xenon, Girl of the 21st Century. They released this in January 1999, and the lives of little tween girls everywhere were never the same. This was originally a Disney Channel original movie, and it's about a girl who lives in space in the future. And it's like in the, like, truly in the future. It wasn't set in like 2005 or something. And I think she. I don't know why actually, but she has to come to Earth and she's like obviously weird because she's from space. We were all obsessed with this. The aesthetics of it was everything that we wanted our lives to look like in 1999. I mean, if I could have designed my bedroom in 1999, I would have tried to make it look like Xenon's space station ship or whatever that she lives in. I mean, it's iconic. Zetus Lapidus, okay? That's all I need to say. Number three is the Furby craze. I cannot explain why, but you could not get your hands on a Furby <laughs> at this time. People were losing their minds over these little battery-powered electronic alien creature toys that would talk to you and like respond to you. It was very, very kind of futuristic feeling. Uh, the thing I think was supposed to be an alien. I think it has like a backstory about how it came from like another planet. So that feels very on brand for the time. But really, if you think about it, in an era where everyone was terrified of technology and everyone was obsessed with the future and space, the idea of this little terrifying talking alien toy taking over pop culture the way that it did really just feels so on brand, doesn't it? 
Number two is the Backstreet Boys Millennium album and the Backstreet Boys Millennium tour. Just everything about the Backstreet Boys Millennium at this time is really significant and just feels era defining for me personally. First of all, just the aesthetics of that album, the album cover and the CD itself are like this light blue with a lot of silver and white. The font is very like futuristic or what we thought futuristic font looked like in 1999. All of their outfits were like white or like shimmery and they wore like these silver jackets. Boy bands at the time, you know, they really captured the Y2K aesthetic beautifully. They have some very, very Y2K outfits, all of those boy bands. This was so important to me as a kid in 1999. I was obsessed with the Backstreet Boys, like obsessed. And if you've been here a while, you know all about that. You've heard it. But I actually went to the Backstreet Boys Millennium Tour concert in Minneapolis on, I looked it up, October 9th, 1999. And this was the most important moment of my little preteen life, okay? I had not been this thrilled, this excited since Titanic came out and I first laid my eyes on Leonardo DiCaprio as Jack Dawson, okay? Like this made my life. So everything about that album is really era defining and just kind of screams 1999 in my own personal eyes. Number one, The Matrix was released. This movie came out in March of 1999 and I mean, just everything about The Matrix screams New Millennium, Y2K, 1999, everything about it just perfectly positions this movie in that specific time in pop culture. The aesthetics of everything, I mean, literally everything, the slow motion action shots, just the fact that we felt like that effect was so futuristic at that time, like so mind-blowing but also the whole concept of the movie in general. The millennium, the new millennium felt existential in a way. Like we were entering this new world, you know, this new time period. It was like going into this new existence somehow. We felt like things would change in some monumental way when we entered this new millennium and you know, we could never go back to the way things were before. That was the past and we're about to be in the future. So you know, this movie captured a lot of that. And, you know, honestly, people thought the world was going to end. So what's more appropriate than a movie about a sort of dystopian future universe with also the most Y2K sci-fi poster design I have ever seen? It is just perfect in every way. So it's no surprise that this movie really took pop culture by storm. Everyone was so obsessed with it. People didn't understand it. People were talking about it a lot. It was visually really cool and interesting and different. I was definitely a little too young to appreciate it. I was 12. But even considering that, I mean, I still saw it. I still was talking about it with my friends. We were still making movie references to it. I don't think I understood a minute of it. I mean, at 12, I'm sure I did it. And I didn't really care, you know? I was much more interested in going to see Drive Me Crazy or 10 Things I Hate About You or, you know, any one of the other brilliant, beautiful teen movies that came out around that time. But this is just one of those pop culture artifacts that I think will always go hand in hand with Y2K and the idea of the new millennium. And I just have to say, I might be biased, but 1999, 
it was such a great year for pop culture. I could do an episode completely just on 1999 and the pop culture in that year. That could be a fun series actually. Episodes that focus on specific years and kind of deep dives into the pop culture of those years. Let me know what you guys think about that. I might do it. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, it is always so appreciated if you share the episode, if you share the show with a friend, if you leave a review. I will be back next week, so I will talk to you all then. Bye.